Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to be here with all of you and to recognize that each one of us are here this morning because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith helps us to know that the God of angel armies is right here with us this morning. So let's pray to him and ask his blessing. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have brought each one of us to this place this morning to worship you and to hear from you. So now we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would open our ears, that the words that I speak would be pleasing to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm thinking about an upgrade. This is my flip phone. And I don't know if you can see it. You should be able, there it is. This is my flip phone. And I'm thinking about this, now this phone works well, but you can see there's a crack on the screen. That crack's been there for, I don't know, about two years. And I, if I open it up, it still works. And on the phone, I have my screensaver, and it's a picture of Waffle House, which is my favorite restaurant. I'm hoping Waffle House has moved to Grand Rapids. I, my waistline probably is not hoping for that. But I'm thinking about this phone, and I'm thinking about an upgrade. My wife, my kids, and anyone else who sees this phone thinks it's time for me to move on. They think it's time for an upgrade. So I have been considering an iPhone and all of the wonders of an iPhone. In fact, there's any smartphone. Incredible possibilities with any type of smartphone. You know, you can still talk and you can text with the flip phone. But with the iPhone, the internet is right there in your hands. You have immediate access to all the information in the world. And not only that, not only do you have that immediate access to all that information, you have access to things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Vines. Now, I haven't been all that into those things, but if I had an iPhone, think of the things that I could do. I could post my opinions, and you could all see and read what I think. I could post, I could make videos of myself, and I could post the videos on Vines. And you all could watch them. <laughs> or I could take pictures of myself. Selfies, if you will. I got so excited about that this week that I practiced. I took some pictures of myself. So have you ever, this is me brushing my teeth, obviously, right? Have you ever noticed how many selfies happen in the bathroom? That's just weird. Or how about this selfie? I did the duck face. Me and the man. <laughs> now, it kind of looks like I'm kissing him there. I'm not trying to kiss him. I love him and all. But all the possibilities, pictures of myself, my opinions, videos, posting all those things, but that's not even the best thing. The best thing is that I can have approval immediately in what all you think about. The 24-7, I can have your approval. I post my opinions. Look, at, think, of, think of how many of you are here. Think about this for a minute. How many of you are here? If I posted an opinion, you'd all follow, wouldn't you? 
Come on. If I posted those selfies, come on, you gotta like those selfies. All of those likes, I could have thousands of likes. Think of the approval. Think of the acceptance. Think of all the likes. It would be awesome. Or would it? Now, this sermon's not about my phone. It's not even about Facebook, Twitter, Vines, or Instagram. But it is about an issue that those things highlight in our lives. It's the need that we all have, the yearning that we all have in, deep in our hearts, the yearning that we have to be approved, to be accepted, to be liked. Each one of us here this morning have this desire in our hearts. We want to be approved. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. But as a result, most of us then have an inclination towards people-pleasing. Most of us then say things. Most of us do things. We say and we do things. We post things that we think will get us acceptance and approval and likes because we so desire to be accepted and approved. The problem is that people-pleasing, people-pleasers do not make very good servants of Christ. Did you hear what I said? People-pleasers do not make very good servants of Christ. So our question for this morning is, which are we? Are we people-pleasers or are we servants of Christ who choose to please God? The Apostle Paul confronts the Galatian Christians with this question in chapter 1 of Galatians. So if you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians, found on page 942 in the Bible that the church provides. Our primary verse this morning is going to be Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, and it's found on page 943 in the church Bible. The central theme of the book of Galatians is freedom. Freedom is the theme of Galatians, primarily the freedom that comes from being a follower of Jesus Christ, of having a relationship with Him. And here at the beginning of his letter to the Galatians, Paul encourages us towards that freedom. So he writes in verse 10, look at verse 10. Paul writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul asks this question here because he realizes that there is a crisis in Galatia. The crisis in Galatia is both a theological crisis and a moral crisis. 
the Galatians are being confused by false teachers. And the Galatians themselves are choosing to people please rather than be servants of Christ. So first let me give you a little background of what happens that causes Paul to write this letter to the Galatian Christians. Paul, if you recall, went on a number of missionary journeys throughout the world. One of his journeys was to Galatia. And he goes to Galatia and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel of Christ primarily to the Gentiles that live in Galatia, not to the Jews. He preaches the gospel and as a result of his preaching, many people come to receive that gospel. Many people come to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. Then Paul goes on his way. He goes to the next area to which God has called him to. Well, after Paul leaves, some false teachers come to Galatia. And those false teachers go to the church that Paul planted in Galatia, and they start preaching a false gospel. These false teachers, they're called Judaizers. And in essence, they came with a different gospel. They added something to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These false teachers taught that in order to be a Christian, you needed to be circumcised. In order to be a Christian, you needed to follow the law of Moses. It was Jesus plus something else. In essence, these false teachers were saying you needed to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. You needed to be Jewish like Jesus was Jewish. You needed to be Jewish like the first Christians were Jewish. These false teachers added something to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They taught a different gospel. And the people, the Galatian Christians, were choosing to listen and to follow this different gospel. So Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to address the theological and moral crisis that existed in Galatia. Now look at, back at chapter 1. Right from the beginning of Galatians, the letter stands out. It stands out from Paul's typical letter. Paul's usual pattern in his letters is to identify the sender, identify the, the recipient, offer a word of grace, and then offer some words of encouragement. In Galatians, the words, the nice words of encouragement are conspicuously missing. Look at verse 6. Strong language. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Let me paraphrase to you what Paul is saying here. He's saying, have you lost your minds? Have you lost your minds? I'm dumbfounded of your behavior. You have deserted the Lord God himself who purchased you with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You have lost your minds. Accusing a soldier of desertion is a very serious charge. And that's the language that Paul uses here. You are deserters. You have turned your back on Jesus himself. Then from verse 6, he goes on to interpret the problem. Look what he writes. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is a big theological problem. A different gospel. Some other version of the Jesus story. 
They've abandoned Jesus Christ. Not to go off and murder, not to go off and steal, not to go off and commit sexual sin. They have deserted Jesus Christ. They have abandoned Jesus for a different gospel, a different religious philosophy. And this is actually more serious because it's no gospel at all. Paul is saying here that there is no salvation in it. It brings only death. Then throughout the rest of the book of Galatians, Paul reminds them and reminds each one of us that there is only one message of hope and truth. There is only one Jesus. There is only one true story about Jesus. There is only one way to salvation, and that is through putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for your salvation, and that that gift of salvation is a free gift, freely given by God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. One message. It is not Jesus plus something else. It is Jesus the gospel. This is why Paul is so passionate. This is why he seems so angry with the Galatian church because they are choosing to follow this different gospel. And Paul knows the severity of that choice. But he's even more upset with the false teachers. Look what he says about them. Let them be under God's curse exclamation point. This is the strongest of language. He declares that these false teachers should be cursed. That means they should be separated from God. In verses 8 and 9, Paul's writing is not going to get him any likes. But he, <laughs> but he continues. Paul goes on. He's even willing to condemn himself if necessary. He writes, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. It doesn't matter. Paul's saying it doesn't matter what people's credentials are. It doesn't matter how highly regarded, how highly respected, how well-spoken. It doesn't matter where these people come from. If it is a different gospel and you choose to follow it, the result is a curse. It's a distorted gospel. Do not follow it. Paul is serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants the Galatians to be serious about the gospel of Christ. And he wants you and he wants me to be serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So after he begins to confront the theological issue, he turns to the moral crisis. And the moral crisis is the fact that the Galatian Christians are choosing to please people rather than please God. They are choosing to seek the approval of men rather than choosing to seek the approval of God. They would rather have the acceptance of men rather than the acceptance of God. So Paul, in verse 10, gets right to the point. He gets to the heart of of the conflict. And that's what verse 10 is. He writes, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here, Paul draws a distinct contrast between winning the approval of men and winning the approval of God. 
he indicates that there is a clear conflict between meeting the expectations of men and meeting the expectations of God. Paul here declares that you are either a people pleaser or you are a servant of Christ who pleases God. So that brings us this morning back to our question. Which are we? Are we people pleasers? Or are we servants of Christ who please God? Do you find yourself in situations where you know the right thing to do, but you don't do it? Do you find yourself in situations where you know the right thing to say, but you don't say it? Because down in our hearts, all of us want acceptance, all of us want approval, and many times we want to find that acceptance and that approval through other people. So we don't do the things we know are right to do and we don't say the things that we know are right to say. We all find ourselves in situations where we have to make a choice who to please. Am I going to please men or am I going to be a servant of Christ who pleases God? Last week, last week I was sitting way back in the back in the second service and I was listening to the sermon and I was thinking to myself, man, Jim's right. I would rather not talk about human sexuality and sin. It would be a much easier topic. It would be much easier. There's got to be an easier topic out there. There's got to be a way to avoid this topic. And then as I was sitting back there, my mind began to wander and I began to think about my upcoming week and I thought about the meeting with the couple who wants me to marry them who, who I know I'm going to have to say, you know, God doesn't really think it's a very good idea that you're living together. He doesn't really approve of that. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I'd rather not have to say that. But Jim had to ask himself, who am I going to please? And I had to ask myself, who am I going to please? You may be here this morning and you're a member of the PTA. And there's an issue before your school board and, and God has been leading you to, to go to the school board meeting and he's been prompting you to speak up at that meeting about this issue. And if you're honest, you're scared and you don't want to do it. And you wonder if people are going to think you're weird, if people are going to think you're narrow-minded, if people are going to think you're out of it. Who are you going to please? You may be here this morning and you're a businesswoman and you've been climbing the ladder of success and you've been doing everything to get to the top. But things at your company are, are loose. They run fast and loose at your company and at the very least there are some ethical issues that are happening at your company. And you think to yourself, but, but, if, but if, I, if I live and if I act like Jesus, I'll never survive. Who to please? Maybe you've been building a relationship with your neighbor and, and, and you've been talking about lots of different things and, and, and God's put it on your heart, you know, it's time. It's time for you to share Jesus with your neighbor. And you think to yourself, but, but they're going to think I'm different. They're going to think I'm weird. And so I'll just, I'll just be a good person. Who to please? Maybe you're here this morning and 
you spend time in a lot of bars. And you know that the bar isn't a good place for you to be. You know that God really doesn't want you there. But you think, if, I, if I'm not there, who, who, are, who are my friends going to be? And am I going to be invited to the parties that I want to go to? Who to please? Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're in high school and you know, you know that it's wrong to hook up. You know that drugs and alcohol are dangerous. But, but in your mind, you, you, you keep hearing and everybody's saying, hey, everybody's doing it. And if I don't, I'm going to be out. Who to please? Or maybe you came in this morning to this service and you opened up the bulletin and there in the bulletin was the notice about baptism. And that's just another reminder from God that, that he wants you to get baptized. But man, it, you, how do I get up there? I'm too scared. I'm concerned what other people are going to think, what other people might say. Who are you going to please? These are just a few of the issues that each one of us face in this life when we come to the various decisions in which we have to decide, am I going to please other people or am I going to be a servant of Christ who pleases God? And trust me, I know that these are not easy decisions. I wish I could tell you that I was preaching this message just to you and that I had this all under control. This is a hard, difficult area. Each one of us want acceptance and approval, and it seems like the easiest way to get acceptance and to get approval is to make the choice that is going to please the person next to me. We all struggle. We all struggle with wanting to please people. But as I said, being a people pleaser, People pleasers do not make very good servants of Christ. So what do we do? Where does that leave us? What are the steps that we should take to avoid pleasing people and choosing, seeking to please God? Well, I have four truths that I would like to share with you, things that have helped me and I think will help you choose Jesus and choose to be His servant one who chooses to please God. First, the first truth. Remember the cross. Remember the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he chose the cross for you. He did not deny you. He did not abandon you. He did not leave you. He chose to go to the cross for you. Now we say, we can say he chose to go to the cross for everyone. He chose to go to the cross for everybody that lives in the world. But no, that's not what I'm asking you to remember. I'm asking you to remember that he chose the cross for you personally. He chose the cross for you. So when you feel the urge to people please come on. Remember, 
when you feel that subtle embarrassment and humiliation and consternation that comes when you have a decision to make about who to please, remember that Jesus chose the cross for you. So each one of us should willingly take up our cross for him. And it's interesting. The cross is not just a mode of execution. It's in a humiliating, embarrassing form of execution. In the ancient world, the cross was a terrible way to be put to death. Gruesome, terrible way to be put to death. But it was also embarrassing and humiliating. A person was first stripped naked, they were beaten, and then they were nailed to a cross, and then the cross was placed upright in broad daylight for everyone to see, and where many could mock and jeer while the person on the cross would suffocate to death. That is not just an execution. That is an embarrassing and humiliating way to be executed in public, naked, in front of everyone to see. That's the way Jesus died. And he died for you. And he died for me. So when you feel that urge, when you feel that urge to choose to please a person instead of choosing to please God, remember the cross. And remember that Jesus went to the cross for you. So when the situation comes in your life, when decision-making time comes, choose Him. Choose Jesus. Remember the cross. Secondly, remember that you are going to have to give an account of your life before God. Each one of us is going to have to give an account before God of the life that we have lived. This means that someday God is going to ask you, did you speak up at the PTA meeting? He is going to ask you whether you acted ethically in the work workplace. He is going to ask you if you told your neighbor about Jesus. He is going to ask you where you spent your time. He is going to ask you if you remained pure for Him. He is going to ask you whether you publicly declared Him in the waters of baptism. And if you are like me, the thought of this is overwhelming. Because I stand here and I recognize that someday I am going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account of my life to Him. And that, in all honesty, scares me. It's overwhelming. But this morning, I'd like to think, have you think of it from a different perspective. I'd like to have you think of it in a different way. I'd like to have you think that this is actually a good thing and not a scary thing. And the way that you can do this is that you can recognize that this makes life actually easier because all I really have to please is one person. 
I don't have to worry about pleasing Don. I don't even have to worry about pleasing my dad. I don't have to worry about pleasing Jim. All I have to worry about is pleasing God. Because if I think this way, I recognize that in my decision-making and in living my life, I am living for an audience of one. And I often, look, I often think about this when I preach. Because there are a lot of you out there, right? There are a lot of you out there, and I want you to like me. Actually, I want all of you to like me. I want all of you to like what I say. So this week, when I'm preparing, when I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, when I'm thinking about how I'm going to say it, I'm thinking, well, what are they going to think? But then I'm reminded. Then I'm reminded that in all honesty, all I'm doing is preaching to one. Because I don't need to be concerned about what any of you think, really. I just need to be concerned about what God thinks. And it makes life easier, doesn't it? We don't have to worry about all the things. It really integrates life. In order to think about every decision and every decision being made in light of the response of one person, God. So it's an integrated life. What shall I say? Well, whatever God thinks I should say. What shall I do? Well, whatever God thinks I should do. What movie should I go to? What book should I read? Who should I go out on a date with? Who should I marry? What job should I take? It becomes, the decisions do become easier if you think about living your life for an audience of one. So don't think about the judgment as something scary, something overwhelming. Think about it as something that is freeing and liberating because you don't have to worry about pleasing everybody because if you haven't figured it out yet, there is no way to please all the people all the time. In fact, there is no way to please most of the people most of the time. And the applause of others is so fickle. One minute you're liked, the next minute you're not liked. So if you live your life for one person, making decisions that are going to please that one person. Sometimes other people will like those decisions. Sometimes they won't. But that's okay. Next. Being a God pleaser and not a people pleaser is not an excuse for rudeness. Being a God pleaser is not an excuse for rudeness. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to love others, to love everyone, to love our enemies, loving everyone. And that means we are to primarily demonstrate that love through mercy and through grace. The lesson of verse 10 is not the more people I displease, the more spiritual I am. (laughs) Did you hear me? The lesson of verse 10. This is a big one. The lesson of verse 10 is not the more people I displease, the more spiritual I am. People who call, hand out the bullfold, what's that thing called? Bullhorn. People that hold a bullhorn or a bullfrog, whatever they want to hold. People that hold the bullhorn and yell that God is going to judge the world and he's going to burn it all down. 
People that hold placard signs and protest and hold signs that say God hates gays? Come on. That's not demonstrating love. That's not demonstrating mercy and grace. And in my opinion, that's sin. Paul is not attempting here to alienate people. Being a God pleaser is not an excuse for rudeness. Look at how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. This is what he writes in 1 Corinthians. This is the same Paul that wrote Galatians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We know that part, right? Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church, even as I try to please everyone in every way. Even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Look at what he says in Romans. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good. What? Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and in Romans, Paul says, please everyone, please your neighbor. The distinction here, the difference is, is we are to please everyone. We are to please our neighbor. When that pleasing is a means to their salvation, is about building them up, and is to the glory of God. Paul is not attempting to alienate people in Galatians. He is attempting to make a distinction between people-pleasing and God-pleasing when they are in direct contradiction to each other. Otherwise, you people-please to bring people to salvation, to build them up, and to the glory of God. Admittedly, this takes a lot of spiritual wisdom and discernment. It can be difficult to know when to say the right thing and when not to say, when to do something and when not to do something, but we are to go to God the Father and ask for that wisdom so that we can discern what we are to say and what we are to do, and when He tells us to do it, we do it, because that is how we please God. Look at what what Paul says in Colossians. Let your conversation be what? Always, always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Being a God pleaser is not an excuse for rudeness. Number one, remember the cross of Jesus Christ and the fact that he chose you. Number two, Remember that all of us someday are going to give an account of our life to God. And number three, number three, God, pleasing God is not an excuse for rudeness. The last truth, remember that God calls you and he calls me to a life of integrity. He calls each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ to be people of integrity integrity. He has asked us to make the right choices. He has asked us to do the right thing. He has called us to integrity. He has called us to be people of conviction. 
We recognize who God is. We recognize that he sent his son. We recognize as his followers that there are multiple things that he calls us to do and calls us not to do and calls us to say and causes us, calls us not to say. And we are to live by our faith in Jesus Christ and stand on those beliefs as people of integrity. Live by your convictions. Do what is right just because it is right. That is a phrase that one of my brother's college basketball coaches said over and over and over again. Do what is right just because it is right. We should burn that phrase into our minds and into our memories. As people of integrity, we should be people that do what is right just because it is right. And then we let the chips fall where they may, recognizing that God is in control of all the chips anyway. So do what is right just because it is right and recognize that you cannot please everyone. But you can choose to please God, if you do what is right just because it is right, to avoid being a people pleaser, to decide to be a servant of Christ and a God pleaser, remember the cross, remember that each one of us is going to give an account of our life someday to God, that God pleasing is not an excuse for rudeness and that we are called to live lives of integrity. This past week, Thursday, my mother called to check up on me. She's a good mom. She called to check up on me and to see how the sermon was going. So I shared the sermon with her, and she said to me, Tommy, she calls me Tommy. She said, Tommy, do you remember Paul and Ethel Labatz? And I said, Mom, no, I, I really don't have any recollection of Paul and Ethel Labatz. Now, there may be some of you here this morning that actually do remember Paul and Ethel Labatz. Paul and Ethel were supported missionaries of Calvary Church in the 1940s and 50s. The reason I don't remember that is because that is way, way, way before my time. <laughs> but some of you may remember Paul and Ethel Labatz. Paul and Ethel Labatz, as I said, were supported missionaries of Calvary Church who drove around the United States pulling a van with Bible verses on it. This is a picture of the van with Bible verses on it. And I'm holding a card in my hand that my mom has kept in her Bible, I shouldn't say this, but that my mom has kept in her Bible for over 60 years. It's the picture you see on the screen. And she's kept this card in her Bible for over 60 years. That's why she remembers Paul and Ethel Labatz. Now I look at this picture and I think to myself, there is no way you know where I'm going, don't you? There is no way that I'm driving around the United States 
pulling a trailer with those verses on it. In fact, there's no way I'm driving around the United States pulling a trailer with any verses on it. It's a little awkward. Embarrassing. Even humiliating. Paul and Ethel Labatz traveling around the United States preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why my mom keeps this card in her Bible? Because in 1949, Paul and Ethel Labatz were on furlough from their travels around the United States. And they taught an elementary school Sunday school class right here at Calvary Church where my mom, as an eight-year-old, accepted Jesus. You know what? My mom doesn't care how awkward, how embarrassing, maybe even how humiliating Paul and Ethel seemed to have been. All my mom cares about is that they didn't care so much about pleasing people. They chose to be servants of Christ who pleased God. Amen. On the back of this card is the thought that I'd like to leave you with this morning. I hope you can read it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Who are you going to please? Who is it you're going to please? It's the question that every one of us should be asking in regard to every decision we make. Who are we going to please? Are you going to choose to please other people? Or are you going to choose to be a servant of Christ who chooses to please God? Because only one life will soon be passed. Only, only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we prayed earlier that it is you who has brought us to this place this morning. Lord, that is because this is a message that each one of us needs to hear. Lord, you know it is a message that I need to hear. You know that I struggle in this area. And Lord, I assume that many people in this room struggle in this area. And we recognize, Heavenly Father, that there is a courage that we need that can only come for you, from you. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the courage to choose Jesus, 
that, Lord, as you transform our hearts and our minds, as you make new who we are, as you conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, that part of that would be giving each one of us the courage to make the decision to please you, to choose Jesus in every decision of life. And Lord, help us to remember that we only have one life. We need you because we cannot do it without you. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.